Good evening, everybody, and welcome to live to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. You know, th this uh, the last 72 hours, man, have not been have not been great. Dak Prescott getting knocked out in blowout fashion. That's my guy. Y'all know that. My Steelers getting knocked out by the Bills. I mean, we were the seventh seed, and it's like it was just stunning. Uh, still didn't feel good. I'll discuss that a little later. So let's talk about Buffalo first uh, in about 15 minutes and why they're the most scared that they've ever been. And most importantly, this is the best shot they'll ever have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll discuss that. Also on Carving Up the Context, which is our midweek Wednesday segment, providing context to the stories all around the world of sports that maybe uh, the context hasn't been provided yet. We will do so this uh, today regarding Mike Tomlin and his future as a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is coming back to Pittsburgh but I think this is a make-or-break year, 2024, in particular a make-or-break offseason for Coach Tomlin. Also, this isn't Bryson's Best 10, which I also do every Wednesday uh, during the NFL season and beyond. We'll do Bryson's Best 10 for other, uh, other topics. But today's a special edition of Bryson's Best 8. Doesn't roll out the tongue as well, but there's only 18 left in the playoffs. Number 9, number 10, it's, it's vacant. I don't know. You want to throw Dallas in there in the top 10 somewhere? Uh, Miami or something? Pittsburgh? I don't know. It's all about the last eight teams left. My top eight teams entering divisional weekend. We got some great games coming up. And again, a, pl a plethora of other stories. Baker Mayfield. I've already kind of apologized to Baker, but an area where I've underrated Baker, as we're being shown with this little run he's having right now in Tampa Bay, uh, right now, obviously, with their win against the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, a lot to get into. But first... Let's talk about that game. We'll, again, talk about Tampa and Baker because they certainly, Baker in particular, deserves his shine. But the Philadelphia Eagles are done. Their season comes to an end in brutal fashion, I must say, uh, by a final score, 32-9. to Now, I did pick Tampa Bay to win. I thought it'd be at least competitive. I was incorrect on that from the jump. Tampa Bay went up and down the field in Philadelphia's defense. Baker Mayfield was sensational. 337 yards, three touchdowns, and a pass rating of 119. He was simply special. Uh, as most quarterbacks tend to be against this Philadelphia Eagles defense, more on them in just a second. It's time to move on from Nick Sirianni. Like It's, it's, it's time to have an adult conversation. It's time to move on from Nick Sirianni. This is one of those odd spaces where we've discussed, I've discussed on my show, others have discussed on their shows about, man, can you move on from a guy? I mean, took over a four-win team, got him to the playoffs year one, got him to the Super Bowl, a field goal away from winning the Super Bowl in year two. Year three, they're 10-1, and one, collapsed down the stretch. But hey, coordinators aren't great. You know, certainly in, in, in you know, compared to last year's coordinators, guys like Jonathan Gannon and in particular Shane Steichen running the offense, but they kind of fall apart. It can kind of move on to next year, right? Y'all know I'm a big Dak Prescott fan. That goes without saying. I view him far higher than others uh, in regards to other quarterbacks in the NFL. I certainly view Dak higher among quarterbacks than I do Sirianni among head coaches. That said, if Dak Prescott, say, so he's with the Cowboys. Let's say Patrick Mahomes was available on the free agent market and had some interest in coming to Dallas. Bye, Dak. And I love Dak. Bye, Dak. Let's bring Patrick in. Let's go win some Super Bowls. Identical situations apply with Nick Sirianni. I have never in my life seen a deeper coaching pool for potential candidates. 
There's this guy, Bill Belichick. You might have heard of him. He's just interviewed with the Falcons recently. So is Jim Harbaugh. You know, Belichick, by the way, six Super Bowl titles. Harbaugh has a Super Bowl appearance in his resume, is the head coach of the defending national champion, Michigan Wolverines, and wins, you know, everywhere. Mike Vrabel took over a Tennessee Titans team that was fine. Year two got it to an AFC Championship game. Year three got it to a one seed with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback with no Derrick Henry for the second half of the season. And we're in the playoff mix in the final week of the season a year ago with a below-average roster. Mike Vrabel's a darn good coach. You have hot up-and-coming coordinators like uh, Ben Johnson with the Detroit Lions. You have that guy McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Plenty of good candidates out there, potentially, for a team like Philadelphia, who roster's good. Quarterback, whether you think he's elite, fine. It's good. I mean, he's better than the majority of the quarterbacks in the league. We can all agree on that. You still have a good O-line. You still have excellent weapons and a running game. A great defensive line. You can upgrade the secondary in the draft and free agency. Howie Roseman's a great GM. He can upgrade that this offseason. Can Nick Sirianni take it there? And the question regarding that is, and part of the reason I even suggest this, because of it, not just because the head coach you pulled, but because of how bad of a collapse this was, not just in terms of the offense. The defense was nothing short, especially relative to last year, with virtually all of the same players outside of C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Virtually all the same guys. And yet, inserted Jalen Carter, by the way. Eagles last year defensively compared to this year. Last year, first in opponent yards per play. First in opponent yards per game. Number one, and by the way, an all-time record in the NFL in single-season sacks by a team. Second in opponent yards per game. And the number eight scoring defense in all of professional football. So they were top 10, top one in many categories, top 10 in virtually all of them. 2023, different story. They went from first in opponent yards per play to 24th in opponent yards per play. They went from first in opponent yards per game to 31st in opponent yards per game. They went from number one in the league, first all time in a single season in sacks, to 19th in sacks. They went from second in opponent yards per game to 26th in opponent yards per game. They went from the eighth-ranked scoring defense to the third-worst scoring defense, 30th-ranked scoring defense in all of football with virtually all of the same guys. You say, Bryson, I mean, can't put that on Sirianni. He's not a defensive coach. We didn't give him credit for the defense being good last year. Why should we give him the blame for being bad this year? Totally agree. Totally agree. What about the offense? And Nick Sirianni, that is, after all, where he supposedly specializes. How'd the offense look with the boy genius Shane Steichen gone? Well, through 11 games, excellent. The Eagles might have started 10-1. and That might have barely been skating by some teams. But they were playing really well offensively. Here's their numbers. I can put this up there. They were third in points per game, ninth in yards per game, 10th in yards per play, 3rd in time of possession, ninth in rush yards per game, 13th in pass yards per game, 3rd in 3rd down, uh, 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 down conversion percentage, 6th in the red zone, 23rd in turnovers. That's not very good. And they had the best record in football. By and large, folks, they were a very good offensive football team. Elite offensive team, I would go so far as to say. But the last 7, including the playoff game in which they lost 6 of their last 7, teams figured them out. They were the 26th ranked 
scoring team in all football. 19th in yards per game, 15th in yards per play, 29th in time of possession, 18th in rush yards per game, 16th in pass yards per game, 7th on third down. That's pretty good. 21st in the red zone, 30th in turnovers, and had were tied with the fourth worst record in all of football with that roster. You say, well, I mean, you can't put on Nick Sirianni. He doesn't call plays. Well, then that leads me to a bigger point. Then what's he there for? What does he do? What does he do that Belichick can't do? Vrabel can't do? Harbaugh can't do? Heck, Pete Carroll can't do? Ben Johnson can't do? What is special about Nick Sirianni? Is he a guy who we view as this big-time culture builder, this galvanizing force for his team? No, actually, sometimes his players are kind of embarrassed of him. Remember this during the Super Bowl? This is, I apologize for the podcast audience, those listening. Remember this during the Super Bowl? Eagles are going to win a challenge. Nick Sirianni, yeah, first down. And Jalen Hurts like, hey, 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 dude, calm down. Calm down, buddy. Like, let's, what, what are we doing? Like, put the arm down. Like, calm, calm down, buddy. Jalen Hurts, mid-20s, you know, wasn't in college that, that long ago. And Nick Sirianni, who's been a grown man for decades, and it's Hurts who's behaving more mature than the head coach. Remember this in Kansas City when they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium? This is before the Eagles finished the season two and five. Remember this in Kansas City? Hasn't he become more well-known for that than game planning, culture building? I mean, nobody... Nobody in the NFL views Dan Campbell as this X's and O's genius. I'm not trying to make Dan Campbell to be some meathead like some have portrayed. He's not that. But Dan Campbell's not exactly going to compete with McVeigh or, you know, Shanahan or Reed in terms of X's and O's. But good Lord Almighty, does that man build a culture? Those players give their all in their three win season in 2021, they played their you know what's off for him. Sirianni, when things got tough. The team quit. Let's be honest. As bad as that was in Dallas <laughs> when, when they lost to, 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 uh, to Green Bay on, on uh, Sunday and everybody wants McCarthy gone, myself included, the criticism of McCarthy was, man, didn't have them ready to go, looked out-game-planned, out-prepared, out-schemed, outdated, just over his, in over his head. Philadelphia's players were like, yeah, we don't really even want to be here out right now. I mean, did you see that sack Jalen Hurts took on the safety? Like, what, what are you doing? That's just nonchalant. That's not Jalen. Up and down season this year, sure, but careless? Nonchalant? That's not really Jalen's brand. The missed tackles defensively, particularly by James Bradbury, who, ooh, ooh, he had a bad year. But even the, the Eagles secondary in totality. Missed tackles, apathetic effort. I mean, from the jump, it's, I don't use this term much because I think it's overblown sometimes, but Tampa Bay wanted it more than Philadelphia. Tampa Bay was showing up to that football game, ready to go in a playoff game and advance to Detroit. Philly was like, oh, you know, if it happens, it happens. That's what their body language showed me. That's on the coach. What does Nick Sirianni do that is, it doesn't even have to be revolutionary. He doesn't have to be, we hear this, hear this term a lot, boy genius. But it doesn't seem like he's become far more well-known for yelling and cussing out Chiefs fans or his... Theatrics on the sidelines when his players are actually more composed than he is. That roster's too good in Philadelphia to waste another year with likely another crappy defense and a predictable offense. If this were a, it's kind of like Justin Fields. 
If this were a draft like 2022, where the best two quarterbacks are Kenny Pickett, at least coming in that draft, Kenny Pickett and uh, who's the kid that went to Tennessee? Malik Willis. Those are the top two quarterback prospects by a lot of draft evaluators. Well, then you probably keep Justin Fields. He's a better option than both of those guys. But Caleb Williams is in this draft. You take Caleb Williams. Same situation here in Philadelphia. If you have a clear, if it's not going well, and you have a clear opportunity to upgrade, you upgrade. Especially when your team is in a win-now scenario. Especially when you just lost one of your key leaders, in all likelihood, one of the key leaders of your locker room, in Jason Kelsey, who's almost certainly going to retire. What does Nick Sirianni bring to the table that other coaches can't bring, and then some? He doesn't provide a culture. He doesn't call plays. He doesn't manage the game particularly well. He doesn't have his guys ready to go in the biggest moments when things aren't going terribly well. We know him more for cursing out Chiefs fans, cursing out Colts fans a couple of seasons ago after a one-point win over a four-win team. And we also remember him for theatrics during the Super Bowl that his own quarterback's like, hey, coach, like, come on, come on. What are we doing? Just saying. I'd move on. Patrick Brown in the comments. Bye, Eagles, bye. Love it. I do love it, Patrick. It is great. Uh, Nick Sirianni is more of a fanboy than a head coach. You can clearly see his immaturity after winning close games. I said then, dude acts like a high school coach wearing a beat Dallas uh, by wearing a beat Dallas t-shirt. Philly quit after the loss to San Francisco. That's the game where it broke them mentally. A reporter asked Devontae Smith about their 10 wins. We're not playing good football. That's the thing, too. Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts, Jason Kelsey, all of these players. I think Fletcher Cox had had a quote like this, like, Guys, we're not playing that well. Maybe I should have caught on more than, than, than I did initially. Um, but that's that that that's embarrassing. We've seen late season collapses by the 2019 Patriots, the 2020 Steelers, 2021 Cardinals, but in none of those cases was it, oh, they quit. Sometimes it was injuries, sometimes it was your schedule. What you played an easy schedule and then it got brutal at the end. Whatever the case would be, in none of those instances, I was like, dang, the team just straight up gave up. That's how it was in Philadelphia. By the way, you know, I am a former Cowboys fan. I am a Steelers fan. I still got to say, um, I do I do enjoy, not as much as I revel in Cleveland misery or in the very rare instances of Alabama fans' misery, but a Philly misery is not far off. New York, New York fans, misery. I'm talking about like the Yankees. And here's what the last year, you know, here's how the last year looked for Philadelphia. Okay. Philadelphia 76ers lost game six at home and game seven to the Celtics with a shot to advance the Eastern Conference Finals in the playoffs. Philadelphia Phillies were up 2 0 on the Arizona Diamondbacks and lost in seven. Game seven being on their home ballpark, Citizen Bank Field, Citizen Bank Park, I believe, in Philly. And then the Eagles going from 10 and 1 to 11 and 6 and losing in the first round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That that was that was nice. Really nice. I don't know. Just 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 um just throwing it out there. I I I don't get what the argument is for Sirianni to stay. If it's oh just one bad year, oh it's you know, you don't overreact to the last, excuse me, the last month and a half. To that, I would say, first of all, Philadelphia, listen, nobody, I don't think anybody in the NFL has had more success in the last two decades of hiring and firing coaches than Philadelphia does. I mean, for crying out loud, in the last 12 years, 
They fired Andy Reid, who made five conference title games and a Super Bowl after one bad year. One bad year. They're like, yeah, doesn't matter what you've done the last decade, Andy Reid. And by the way, unlike Sirianni, you were the reason, the primary reason for our offensive success. One bad year, get out. We hired Chip Kelly. We go back to being a good offense, make the playoffs, 10-win season after that. Bad year, get out, Chip Kelly. We're not even going to let you finish year three. Then you bring in Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson in year two with a backup quarterback wins the Super Bowl. Good season, playoffs, good season, playoff. Bad year, get out. You're telling me a guy who's coach, uh, a coach who's, whose team gives up on him at the end of the season, collapses down the stretch, and he holds really no significant value in terms of play calling or, or, or strategic input or culture building. You're telling me they can't move on because, the, you know, given that the coaching market has guys like Belichick, Vrabel, Carroll, Harbaugh, Johnson. Okay. Knock yourselves out, Philadelphia. I mean, it's, 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 it's odd. Uh, Patrick, the A.J. Brown turmoil boil over as well. That was a terrible, I'm sorry, sorry. That was also a tall tale sign of trouble. Everyone said it was just a little dust up with Jalen Hurts. All the signs were there and now. Student of the game, 225, says he made the playoffs. Why fire Sirianni? Again, I say, uh, it was a, we've said, by the way, we saw, uh, we've seen plenty of coaches lose their jobs. Mike McCarthy's made the playoffs. Three straight 12-1 seasons. Everybody wants him out, myself included. They've hit a cap. They've hit a ceiling with McCarthy. Uh, I'm going to talk about Tomlin later. Now, I, I don't want Tomlin, like, fired or anything. That's a totally different story. I'll get into that in about a half hour and carving up the context. But, I mean, Marty Schottenheimer went 14-2. and 14-2 and two with the Chargers. Went out early in the playoffs. They fired him. So, just making the playoffs does not automatically mean your job's, uh, you know, going to remain. It's, it's again, con- again, carving up the context in about, a, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour. Context does matter. Your impact, your importance, that does factor in as well. There's no question about it. And, you know, whether or not Philadelphia is able to, to adjust. And by the way, listen, would Philadelphia not be the best job on the market? Right now, to me, it's the Chargers, just because you got Justin Herbert. And anytime there's a job that frees up when you have a top 10 quarterback uh, and a top five talent at the quarterback position, you take that job. Like, you take it. Uh, but would Philadelphia not surpass it? Jalen Hurts just had an MVP last year with good offensive play calling. You have A.J. Brown. You have Devontae Smith, who, who was one of the few bright spots for Philadelphia on Monday night. You still have a good O-line, even without Jason Kelsey. Good O-line, Dallas Goddard. Good running game with DeAndre Swift. This organization drafts exceptionally well. Great GM, Howie Roseman. Phenomenal owner. And Jeffrey Lurie. Like I've said, I hate the Eagles. Their front office is about as good as it gets. San Francisco's up there. Kansas City. It's a short, short list. And listen, Howie Roseman's a brilliant GM. Jeffrey Lurie is the type of guy, you know, Dallas could maybe learn a thing or two from Philadelphia. G- uh, owner for focusing the business, employ smart football people to make smart football decisions and stop doing press conferences. Um, pretty attractive job for Belichick, Harbaugh. Just saying. And by the way, Harbaugh works literally wherever he goes. Now, Belichick, my only concern for Belichick, because people are discussing Dallas. Again, I just suggested Philadelphia. Um. If Belichick brings in a similar staff to what he had in New England, um, like hiring his sons, Patriot retreads, uh, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, it's like, okay, that then this isn't going to work. But to me, Belichick, it's a, wherever he gets hired, everybody's either going to say, oh, overrated, or, oh my gosh, we're back, we're going to win the Super Bowl, to which I would say, 
Let's see what the staff looks like. I'm not when Belichick gets hired because he's going to get hired soon. When he gets hired, I'm a, I'm I'm going to be like, okay, let's see what the staff is. I'm not going to be hot, cold. What does the staff look like? Because that's crucially important regarding how successful he will be in a potential second destination. And um, not great for the Philadelphia Eagles, though. Love it, though. Love it, though. Love it, though. I'll talk about Baker and Tampa Bay at the end of the show because Baker in particular, I, I think we are missing one thing. And I've been, guys and gals and kids and everybody, I have been as big of a Baker skeptic as there is. I haven't gone so far as others uh, have uh, in, in terms of just not being fans of Baker Mayfield. I've always, I've never loved his immaturity out of college, but like I've talked about all year, like this is, gosh, he's, he's, his press conferences are great. He still has the chip on his shoulder. My issue with Baker, again, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this later in the show, but my issue with Baker has never been the chip on your shoulder. You don't get to that level without having a chip on your shoulder, especially with Baker. You're undersized, all that. Um, not as athletically gifted as guys like say, I mean, we have, we always say Lamar Jackson, but guys like, I mean, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. He's not as physically athletic as, as, as those guys. You knew that chip, but I'll talk about Baker at the end of the show um, because I have been a skeptic, but one area where I was dead wrong on him and we definitely need to um, need to give him some love for sure at the end of the show. I do want to talk about Buffalo facing my Steelers. I'll get to my Steelers and Mike Tomlin and carving up the context. Let's talk about Buffalo first because they are the talk of the NFL. And I have been a Bills, again, to use this word, against skeptic, all season long. Before the year, I said they missed the playoffs. I had them around 9-8. and eight. Maybe they get to 10 wins, but I had them at 9-8, and eight, missing the playoffs. I thought they had a terrible offseason, losing their, their defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. They lost some pieces in free agency. There was the Diggs-Josh Allen drama. The run game wasn't good, we thought at the time. Uh, we didn't trust Ken Dorsey, Sean McDermott, some questions. like There was just... We weren't sure if this team could put it together. I certainly wasn't, and so that's why I didn't believe in them. And obviously, when they were 6-6, six and six, I'm like, eh. Closing schedule, Kansas City, Dallas, Miami. Like, that's that's a tough stretch, and Buffalo didn't blink 1-5 straight and just won a playoff game. Part of the reason I picked Pittsburgh to get the upset is not just, oh, you're a biased Steelers fan. It's that, well, Buffalo almost lost to Bailey Zappi, and Allen played poorly. They almost lost to Easton Stick. And Josh Allen had an amazing game, and while well, simultaneously having a horrible game on, during during certain stretches against the Dolphins. So I'm like, Josh Allen. I've always said, while he is a crazy talent at the quarterback position, I've always acknowledged. I've always been a Josh Allen guy. I said before I even had a show in 2018, he'd be the best quarterback in that draft. He's, I'd say Lamar Jackson's been better. Josh Allen's certainly been no slouch. It's the reckless plays. It's the can't help himself try. I always call it the low reward, high risk plays where it's like, what, what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish? Hurdling guys, five short, five yards short of the first down, uh, forcing balls into windows where there's literally nothing there. Uh, you know, just bad decision-making. I'm like against the Steelers defense, even though TJ Watt, it's a Mike Tomlin coach defense, something's bound to happen. And I'm watching that game, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and Pittsburgh gets back in the game. It's 24-17, early fourth quarter. I'm like, hey, we got a shot here. Never happened. Never happened. Bills took care of the ball. Josh Allen took care of the ball. Josh Allen, again, in this game, by the way, uh, played magnificent. 203 yards uh, passing, 74 yards rushing, three touchdowns to the air, a touchdown rushing, a QBR 0-100 to of 91, and a passer rating of 121. We could round that up and make it a 1-22. So Josh Allen was spectacular. It's the best game absolutely undeniably in the six-game winning streak for Buffalo. By far the best game Josh Allen's ever played in the stretch. Kansas City wasn't that good. 
Dallas wasn't good, but didn't have to be because they ran the ball for 200. So I'm not even going to put that on Josh because they were like, Dallas can't stop us. Let's just keep running the football. Chargers, he was fine. Uh, Patriots, he did not play well. Multiple turnovers, almost gave the game away in the fourth quarter. And the Dolphins, very high highs and very low lows. Uneven, up and down, roller coaster. Start to finish, he was magnificent against Pittsburgh. Start to finish. And this is despite some injuries to a defense. This is despite Stephon Diggs going down at one point in the game. There's no Gabe Davis. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Went to Dalton Kincaid. Went to went to his guy Shakir, who made that play horrendous tackling by Pittsburgh. But nonetheless, made the play to Shakir that essentially put the game away at 31-17, which is what the final score ended up being. I will say this for Buffalo. They have gone from, from the 6-6 six and six start to the season. They've gone from, we need to win to save some people's jobs. Sean McDermott, Chief Monk, Josh Allen. I'm not mentioning Josh Allen. He's a phenomenal quarterback. He was never in jeopardy of losing his job. Sean McDermott was. Maybe Joe Brady, even though he's just kind of got this mini opportunity as the interim guy for the Bills, maybe they decided to go in a different direction. If they bring in a new head coach, like, dude's jobs are on the line. They've gone from that to, oh, now you're supposed to win against the Kansas City Chiefs which is obviously the, as great as, I, I can't wait for every single game. I think all the games will be, uh, I, I don't think we'll, I don't, let's put it this way. I don't think we'll see any blowouts on divisional weekend. I don't think we'll see a single one. Even, even San Francisco, Green Bay, San Francisco's a double digit favorite. They're not going to blow out Green Bay. They're not going to humiliate Green Bay. This is the headline act. Kansas City, Buffalo, Allen Mahomes, part three. And we know, first time they matched up, 2020 AFC title game. Chiefs were the defending champs at that point. Blew out Buffalo, but we were kind of like, okay, Buffalo, good season. He got to this point. You'll build as time goes on. Then the year after, they meet again in the divisional round, and who could? it's one of the greatest playoff games in the history of football. Alan Mahomes going back and forth. Literally, whoever's got the ball last is going to win the game. Ended up being Mahomes. Uh, but both quarterbacks were absolutely magnificent in that football game. But lots happened the last two years. Chiefs won a Super Bowl. The Bills went out in the second round, the divisional round, to the Cincinnati Bengals in blowout fashion, might I add. Got out to the 6-6 six and six start, then turned it around. All of a sudden, by the way, in that stretch, you know what started that stretch? A win at Arrowhead. So it's kind of full circle where that kicked off the streak. They will never play. I'll put it this way for Buffalo. Th this statement is not to say they will win the Super Bowl if they win this game. They will not play a harder game in the history of the Josh Allen era. They won't play a harder game, harder playoff game than this one. Not just in terms of the opponent, not just in terms of the fact you're facing the best quarterback in the league, the best coach in the league, the greatest tight end of all time, an ascending number one wide receiver in Rasheed Rice and a top three defense in the league. It's not even just that. It's the pressure. If Kansas City loses... Okay, well, they've kind of been floundering offensively all season long. We're not going to be like, well, Mahomes no good anymore. Well, I guess, uh, you know, got to trade Mahomes or something. Or Andy Reid's in the hot seat. If, if Kansas City loses, it'll suck. They don't get to defend their Super Bowl title. But, if, okay, on to next year. Let's go win in 2024. If Buffalo loses, then it's a fair question to ask if they'll ever get past Kansas City. It's a totally fair question to ask. Because the Chiefs are a dynasty. The Chiefs are the best quarterback in the league. They're not unbeatable. Brady beat them in New England with virtually no weapons. In the year Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns of a Chief offense was way better than it is now in Arrowhead. Arrowhead. Two years later, albeit Mahomes didn't have either of his tackles, and the offensive line was a mess. The Brady Buccaneers came in, shellac Kansas City, and that was that. Year later, 
Bengals were down three scores in that game. I believe it was three scores to the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, calm, collected, and relaxed. Came back, came back. Offense got it turned around. The defense played well, got some turnovers, and they stole the game from Kansas City. They're not unbeatable. Other quarterbacks have knocked them off. Other great court one, the greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady, won a guy I believe to absolutely be the second best in the league in Joe Burrow. Well, if the guy that many believe is the third best or some believe is the second best is 0-3 in the playoffs, is you know, that's not the greatest look in the world. You won't get a better opportunity. You're at home. Reports are it's going to be another potential uh, snowstorm type of situation in Buffalo. May, I don't think it's going to be as severe as it was in Pittsburgh or against Pittsburgh on Sunday, which is why they postponed the game to Monday night or to Monday afternoon. I don't think it's going to be that serious. But Kansas City, they're used to playing the elements we saw last week, and they played plenty of snow games. But that would certainly be advantage Buffalo because they're a better running team with James Cook and with that offensive line. And certainly they have the O-line advantage over the Chiefs. You You got to win this game. Because if you go 0-3, you're the hotter team. You beat this team in Arrowhead for the third year in a row in the regular season to start this winning streak. Your quarterback has is, is, is just coming off a game where he didn't turn the ball over. Again, I get no T.J. Watt, but that's still a darn good Steelers defense. Very talented and picked him apart. The Bills, Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, everybody. This will be the hardest game they've ever played. Because Kansas City is going to go on with this, with this moxie, with this attitude, like, yep, it's going to be close. It's going to be tight. These quarterbacks are going to have to make plays for us. But we've been here before. Not a road playoff game. That's the different aspect from Mahomes and Chiefs. But by and large, in the playoffs, we've been here before. We know how this works. And it usually comes out in our favor. Buffalo can't say the same. First time they got blown out, second time, I mean, it looked like they had the game in the bag with 13 seconds left, and then we all know what happened after that. I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you. This doesn't mean the Bills will win the Super Bowl, but because you still got to win two more play, playoff games after that, and they will be obviously very difficult the, the further you go. Generically, the deeper uh, the deeper you go, generically, the harder it gets. But from a psychological perspective, this is it. Because if they're 0-3, if they lose at home to Kansas City, when they finally get Chiefs, Bills, Alamo versus Mahomes, finally they get out on their turf, and they still lose with the weakest Kansas City team we've ever seen against the most rounded Bills team we've seen in the Josh Allen era, if they can't win even then, they're never going to win. Because Kansas City's going to upgrade offensively next season. Maybe they bring the enemy back. Maybe they add a new good offensive coordinator, draft some wide receivers, whatever the case may be. Maybe upgrade the offensive line. There's plenty of things the Chiefs have the freedom to do. If, if you're Buffalo, you're like, I mean, what are, we, what are we supposed to do? We have a quarterback that can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. The receivers are, are, are good. Stephon Diggs. We'll see if Gabe Davis is back, but the Shakir kid has turned out to be a pretty solid player. James Cook, pro bowler, offensive lines never played better. Defense is playing well, and we still can't beat them at their lowest and at our highest? That's the pressure for Buffalo. Not saying there's no pressure in Kansas, on Kansas City. It's the playoffs. There's always pressure. But my gosh, like this is, this is the best opportunity the Bills will ever have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's see what we got. Uh, EJ Savage, boys in the zone, newest one of the newest uh, members of the grid network, additions to the grid. The bomb interceptions get overplayed. That's basically a punt that gets counted as an interception. Are you referring to um um Are you referring to the Mahomes? I'm sorry, the the Allen picks previously. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, he had a few of those against the Jets back in Week One, but 
there's still plenty of plays beyond that that's like, bro, what are you doing type of situations. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, Patrick, I see your comments regarding the Warriors assistant coach. I will address that briefly at the end of the show. I appreciate that, though. Um, he also says, oh, yeah, yeah uh, EJ, Josh Allen's interceptions on third down. Fair enough, but, uh, you know, still, listen. Just throw, throw it out of bounds. Just get rid of it, throw the ball out of bounds. Now, if it's a situation where you're pressured, there is no way to throw the ball out of bounds. But again, it's not a situation where that's the vast majority of his picks. That's not a situation. I mean, I'd have to go back and look and see if that's the case. But listen, he has led the league in turnovers since he came to the league. I mean, if, you, if you go to, go to StatMuse, which is where I get a ton of great stats, that's it's one of the best sources you can find. But if you go, if you search on StatMuse, league leader in turnovers since 2018, You'll get Josh Allen's animated cartoon face because that's what they do on Stat the cartoon athletes. Uh, same thing since 2019, Josh Allen. Most turnovers since 2020, Allen. 21, Allen. 22, Allen. This year, Allen. So, yes, the third down, that is good context, context to provide. No question about that, EJ, but it's certainly more than that. And it's not even just the picks, by the way. Again, it's some of the, like, remember the play against the the Texans in his first playoff game? They're down three in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter. He's running, and he tries a backwards lateral. There's still a minute left of the game. This isn't like hook and ladder Stanford Cal situation. It's it's like, bro, this game's on the line. What are you doing? You're being reckless. Um, and that's something that's always kind of been a factor of his game. Uh, Patrick, Pacers trade for Pascal Siakam. Love it. Hate it for my Warriors. I wish we would have made the move for him. Um, but man, Siakam, Buddy Heal, Miles Turner, led by Tyrese Halliburton. That's a nice basketball team. Yeah, I like where Indiana's going. No question about it. Indiana's always been well run. Always. They've always been a well run basketball team. Okay, yeah, EJ, thank you for the context. EJ, seven interceptions on third down this year. And I think Allen had, was it 18 in total? Yes, 18 interceptions in total. So that's a chunk of that's you know basically a third of his almost sorry, not a third, almost half. Actually, that's a, right about a third of his picks um, this season. That matters. But again, yeah, the other 11. What do you do with those? Now, I'm sure there's some drops. We'll see. Maybe we can do on this show what I did last year with Dak because everybody crushed Dak for the picks. And I, I and I went back to show the tape. I'm like, half of those weren't on Dak. We, we, we'll do that. Okay, Bills fans, y'all been going at my neck, and that's un, that's really a shame because I love Bills fans. Uh, I don't feel the same way about y'all as I do Brown, not Browns fans, Cleveland fans and Eagles fans, Philly fans in general, or Florida Gators fans, Yankees fans. I, I, I love Bills Mafia. They're the freaking best, one of the most loyal fan bases out there. However, I've been very – I shouldn't say however. Because of that, I've been – my feelings have been punctured uh, because of the, the mean things you guys have said to me. It really hurts. It really hurts. It does. But to be fair to y'all, we'll do a sec. How about this? Bills Mafia, you got my word on this. If the Bills beat the Chiefs on Sunday, I will do that segment Monday show, day after. Now, if they don't, if they don't win, then I'll probably still do the segment in the offseason or something, but you'll want to see it as soon as possible. So, Bills Mafia, you got my word. I'll do the Josh Allen interception breakdown. Uh, on Monday show. But from what I've watched, a chunk of those picks are, again, Josh Allen, I, I talked about last week when they beat Miami to get in the playoffs. I said Josh Allen is the ultimate are-you-insane player where it's, he makes like the back, the throw off his back foot to Stephon Diggs or even on, on, on Monday against my Steelers, 
the 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 long run he made for the touchdown. It's like, are you insane, Josh Allen? Oh my gosh, this dude's an athletic freak, and he absolutely is. All those things are true. And then he'll make the plays. He didn't do it against Pittsburgh a single time. So like, shout out to him. But a couple plays against Miami, it's like, are you insane? You're throwing the ball short of the goal line at the end of the half. You're the first interception was horrendous. The second one was not as bad, but pretty pretty bad. Um. I mean, there's there a couple other plays. The strip sack, it's like, dude, like, bro, what are you doing? You insane. It's kind of a, a swing from left to right, one way or the other. Now, against on Monday, of course, against my team. Of course, he plays a basically a perfect game uh, by all accounts against my team. But, yeah, that's just, I'll move on to Kari at the context as soon as I say this. Uh, I went 4-2 and two on my wild card picks, and, of course, of course, the two losses are my quarterback, my favorite quarterback in the league, Dak Prescott. And my team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Of course it is. That's just, that's just, the two losses were the most painful result it could have possibly, I got the most painful four and two I could have possibly gotten. It's brutal. Okay, so, we do a segment every Wednesday. Uh, it's one I introduced before the football season, and it is one, again, we only got a few weeks left, a little less than a month left uh, in the football season, which is very depressing, very sad. But it will be one that continues far beyond this football season, hopefully for years to come. It's a segment we call Carving Up the Context. Now, Carving Up the Context is where there's a short uh, a sports story that everybody's debating about, what's going to happen one way or the other. And I can give you my takes on it, just like anybody else can, but I try to do something that maybe not many people do, and that is provide the context around the situation. Well, this week's edition of Carving Up the Context revolves around Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin. Before we get into that, as primetime Deion Sanders says, give me my theme music. On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, Mike Tomlin is the headline for this story. So, Mike Tomlin led the Steelers to a, or I should say, an unprecedented 17th straight season without a losing record. That is is a personal uh, record for Mike Tomlin, the most non-losing seasons, uh, or I should should say the only head coach to go 17 or more seasons without having a losing year. So some eight and eight years, some Super Bowl championships, some playoff appearances, anything in between, Mike Tomlin has done just that. So he's been the standard of consistency and excellence in Pittsburgh. There is no question about that, what he's provided to the Steelers. However, there has been discussion around, you know, the last two to three weeks about whether or not Mike Tomlin would step away from Pittsburgh, whether it's the quarterback situation isn't exactly ideal. I mean, Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph, Trubisky, it could be better. He's coached 17 years. He's still pretty young, mid-50s. I mean, he's still you know, in great shape. Coaching takes his toll on you. Maybe take a year off, kind of like Sean Payton did, going to television, Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, whoever would, would take him. Uh, going to TV, take the year off, and then take a better job in 2025. Well, Mike Tomlin, according to Mike Garofolo, I should say after this moment, after the Steelers lost to the Bills, when he was asked about his contract status. Anyone? Mike, you have a year left on your 
That was perfect. Mike Thomas providing yet a, a, another meme. But I, listen, I don't blame him. He's like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this. I'm going to I'm gonna, you know, think about it, whatever. And according to Mike Garofolo, who was the first to report this news, Mike Tomlin told the Pittsburgh Steelers the next day, couple or yesterday really, that he would be back in 2024 as the Steelers head coach. And there's been a lot of debate about, okay, what do you do with Mike Tomlin? Because the Steelers have not won a playoff game since 2016, which I'll get into in just a moment. And yet and still, he hasn't had a losing record since or ever since he's been there, which is 2007. What do you do? Well, here's what I think you do. First of all, you leave it up to Mike Tomlin, of course. You give him the the, the courtesy and the respect to make the decision whether or not he wants to stay or go because it's hard to upgrade from Mike Tomlin. There's no question about that. He decides he wants to stay. Okay, because there's, there's first our checklist, Mike Tomlin's staying. Now what do we do? Upgrade the offense. Go get a coordinator. Go get a quarterback. It's that simple. That's what wins in today's NFL. Now, Mike Tomlin, again, I want to continue to reiterate, he is one of the greatest coaches of all time. He is, in my view, with respect to Bill Cowher, the second greatest Steelers head coach of all time to, obviously, the late, great Chuck Knoll, and a first bout Hall of Famer, one of the greatest coaches to ever do it. He's not adapt. He's not an adapting type of guy. At least he hasn't shown himself to be thus far. The modern NFL, 2024, it's about quarterbacks, wide receivers, Offensive play callers, offense. It's not about sacks and running the football. That's the way it was 20 years ago. That's the way it was when Mike Tomlin took over the Steelers in 2007. It played right into his strengths. He won a Super Bowl in 2008. And got to another Super Bowl, by the way, in 2010. It doesn't work that way anymore. And he hasn't adjusted. Now... Pittsburgh's last playoff win was 2016. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And by the way, a game in which they did not score a touchdown. They won the game by a, a multitude of field goals by Chris Boswell in Kansas City. This is before Mahomes got there. They're 0-5 in the playoffs since. Before we even get into the, to the 0-5 thing in, in, in the playoffs. 27, so the last season with the playoff win was 2016. So from 2017 on, sorry, from 20, no, that's the wrong step. Yeah, from 2017 on, Mike Tomlin has around an average record of around 10 and 7. The Steelers are 21st in points per game, 21st in yards per game, 25th in yards per play, 17th in pass yards per game, and 28th in rush yards per game. Simply put, they are inept on the offensive side of the football. In the playoffs, it's even worse. 0-5, they've been outscored 66-zip in the first quarter. In their five playoff losses combined. They've been outscored 122 to 47 in all of those five first halves combined. So not only has the offense been bad, the defense has been atrocious. How do I know this? They've allowed 202 points in their five playoff losses. That is the most in NFL playoff history in a five-game stretch ever. You might be wondering, well, Pittsburgh hasn't won since 2016, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of teams with playoff droughts. Well, yes, there are. About a quarter of the league has a playoff drought longer than Pittsburgh, a playoff win drought longer than Pittsburgh. But they're all kind of the teams we sort of laugh at, right? Carolina, Chicago, Raiders. Broncos haven't won a playoff game since Peyton was there. The Jets, Dolphins, Cardinals, Commanders. We kind of just laugh at most of these franchises. Either they can't get the quarterback right, can't get the coach right. Ownership is bad. They've always been bad. Or they, as in the organization, has always been bad. We just kind of generally sort of roll our eyes at these franchises. 
they're the only ones with a longer playoff win drought than Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh put that list back up. Broncos, Panthers, Cardinals are the only ones, are, are, are the closest ones to Pittsburgh in terms of playoff win droughts 2015. The Steelers have won a playoff game only one year more recently than the Broncos, the Cardinals, and the dysfunctional Panthers. That's where they're at. And it's because of an inability to adapt and adjust. I hear all the time, no disrespect, but from non-Steelers fans who say, oh my gosh, you can't fire a guy who's not had a losing record. Is that the goal, though? Is that the standard? Mike Tomlin is saying all the time, the standard is the standard. Is that the standard in Pittsburgh? Hey, we don't suck. A franchise that has more Super Bowls than anybody except for the Patriots, that's 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 where we've sunk to. I mean, that again, that's like that's stuff like that the Browns would be thrilled about. If you told Cleveland, hey, you're gonna have 17 straight years where we don't have a losing season, they would be having parades for a month in Cleveland. In Pittsburgh, it's okay, it's good. I'm glad we're made the playoffs. It's nice, you know, play an extra game, I guess, but you never a shot to go on a run with Mason Rudolph at quarterback or Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky or an older Ben Roethlisberger before that. You say, well, what do you do? Well, what you should have done years ago in this draft a star quarterback. You say, well, Bryson, Big Ben was at the end of his career. Could have drafted a guy to back up Big Ben before he retired. 2018, the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted a kid out of, I believe, Virginia Tech by the name of Terrell Edmonds, who is no longer with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Four picks after that, the Baltimore Ravens took a guy, maybe you've heard of him. His name's Lamar Jackson. He went four picks after Pittsburgh's pick in 2018. In 2020, in the second round, the Steelers had their first pick, which was in the second round. They took Chase Claypool, who A, is no longer a Steeler, and B, four picks later, the team in the same state, the Philadelphia Eagles, took this guy named Jalen Hurts. By the way, as a side note, Brock Purdy was Mr. Rel that everybody passing him. He's obviously panned out for San Francisco, but every, we, can, we can put that as a knock on everybody, so to speak. This is the most quarterback-loaded draft I can remember. Caleb Williams is going number one. Drake May is probably going number two. But then you have guys like Michael Penix Jr., who's an insane pocket passer and can't make throws outside the pocket. Bo Nix, who's an athletic guy who's got a lot of college experience, brings a lot of stuff to the table. And Jaden Daniels, who's like a bigger version of Lamar. Great quarterback talent in the first round. Now, whether or not one of those guys will fall to Pittsburgh, who I believe has the 21st pick of the draft, we'll see. But would it kill you to maybe, I don't know, not draft a linebacker, a safety, a corner. Get a quarterback. And before you get a quarterback, go hire a creative offensive play caller. You think it think it didn't help CJ Straub to have the OC he has from the Shanahan tree? You think Jordan Love, you think it's it goes a long way for Jordan Love to have Matt LaFleur calling plays and for Brock Purdy to have Kyle Shanahan calling plays? You know, think Bryce Young, limited as he looks, you think Bryce Young would look a little bit better with those guys? Under somebody from the Shanahan tree, from the Andy Reid tree, Eric Bieniemy is probably not coming back to Washington. Mike Tomlin, bring him Eric Bieniemy in. We know his history with Mahomes. We know his history as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. You bring him in, draft a guy, and guess who that quarterback gets? Creative offensive play designer. He gets George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, and Pat Fryer moved to throw to. He gets to hand the ball off to Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, and he has a defense backed up by the best defensive player on planet Earth, T.J. Watt with a great defensive coach in Mike Tomlin. 
This is a crucial offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers because simply put, if we're in May, when the draft 2024 NFL draft concludes, early May, and the Pittsburgh Steelers have an uncreative OC and don't draft a quarterback, Tomlin needs to be out after 2024 because it will be evident at that point he will not adapt, he will not adjust, and it's more about preserving some kind of meaningless streak than it is about getting back to winning football in Pittsburgh. By the way, if that means you suck in 2024, then you suck in 2024. Sometimes you got to take two steps, one, one step back to take two steps forward. You know? I think the Houston Texans are, you know, I think the Houston Texans would have liked to have had some non-losing seasons in 2020 and 21 and 22 and missed out on C.J. Stroud. Or do you think they're glad, yeah, we sucked, we couldn't find the coach, then we found the coach, then we found the quarterback, and now we're set for the next decade. It's the name of the game in today's NFL. It is. Every single quarterback still remaining in the playoffs outside of Brock Purdy was drafted in the first round. Every single one with the exception of Purdy. Draft a quarterback. Get an offensive play caller who's creative and not vanilla like Matt Canada. Only time will tell. I'm glad Tomlin's coming back. It's hard to upgrade from that guy, head coach. But adapt and adjust to what the NFL calls for today, not for what it called for when you first took the job. That's all I'm asking as a Steelers fan because if the standard is just not sucking all in the name of to keep a streak going and prevent potentially competing for another Super Bowl, maybe it's not that serious as a coach or a franchise anymore. Harsh, but true. That is this week's edition of Carving Up the Context. It's, you know, and listen, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I use the phrase for the Dallas Cowboys this season. I said, this is the Yoda season for Dallas. Uh, I said, this is, you remember Yoda Empire Strikes Back says do or do not. There is no try. I said for Dallas, this is a, they're either going to go to like NFC title game or Super Bowl, or they're going to flounder early. Well, I was spot on. I didn't think they'd flounder early, but they did. So in the sense that it was the Yoda season, I was correct. This wasn't going to be where they were competitive in a wild card game, but barely lost or won a wild card game, lost a shootout in the divisional round. No, 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 no. They were going to go to the mountaintop or close to it or absolutely collapse early in the playoffs or before the playoffs. And that's exactly what happened. So I was right about that. And it's kind of like that for, for Pittsburgh. It's like the status quo doesn't work anymore. It doesn't. Nine win seasons, some eight and eight seasons, and even the one 12 and four years since the last playoff win in 2020, you started 11 and 0 and won one game after that and got blown up by the Browns. Your division rival, you know, it's not, it's not great. Only time will tell what the Steelers decide to, to decide to do though. I'm pulling, I'm, 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 I'm listening. I'm pulling for us. Obviously I'm a Steelers fan. I hope we can get it right. But if not, gonna have to make a move. By the way, there's nothing wrong if if it if the Steelers don't hire a smart offensive coordinator, a creative offensive coordinator, and draft a quarterback. If they don't do that, then you play the season out. You know, let Tomlin keep his streak going. Then you move on. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, the Eagles fired Andy Reid. The Seahawks, incorrectly in my view, but fire Pete Carroll. You know, every, every everything has its course in life. Nothing's going to last forever. 
It doesn't, it, it would not diminish the run that Mike Tomlin has had. He's the second greatest coach in the history of one of the most iconic franchises in sports and is a first ballot Hall of Famer. It could, there are worse options out there. Trust me. And I'm a Red Sox fan. It, 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 it could be worse. Speaking of Red Sox, by the way, I, I, I should mention this, that in about 10 minutes from now, see, so obviously I'm live on the Grid Network's YouTube channel and then my personal Twitter account and YouTube channel. Well, in a little less than 10 minutes, right at the top of the hour at 7 o'clock, uh, my man Tim Barnard, one of the newest additions to the Grid Networks, his show will be starting as episode one on the Grid Networks YouTube channel will be starting. It is called the Boston Sports Summit. Tim is from Boston. He is a huge Bruins, Patriots, Celtics, and shares this with me, Red Sox fan. And so he'll be kicking off his show, beginning the very first episode at the top of the hour in literally less than eight minutes. So please, please check his stuff out. Check his show out. Uh, this is, I listen, I rarely, rarely want you to, to leave my show, but if, if, if you leave, I, I, this one is rare instances where I'm like, you know, go, go, go check out my man's show. It's his first episode. And I'm very, very excited to see what he's, what he's able to do. He's a very talented guy. Good guy. I've gotten the chance to, to, um, to kind of get in touch with him, to get to know him over the last couple of weeks. Um, very, very excited for his first show. So the Boston sports summit at the top of the hour, live on the grid network. Definitely check his stuff out. I think what I'll do honestly is I'll probably just take this off. Um, I'll take my show off at 7, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, which we're about seven minutes away from that. I'll just go and take uh, my show off of the Grid's YouTube channel uh, and keep it on carving it up on YouTube. Well, yeah, I can, yeah, work some out. But there you go. Shout out to Tim, man. Just want to give him some love today. First show. Listen, I, I, I know the first show jitters, you know, it's, it's a lot, but I'm sure he'll do fantastic. Okay. So we do a segment. If I can get these graphics on here, because sometimes sometimes the streaming uh, app that I use can be a little little finicky, be a little little difficult at times uh, to try and get some stuff up on here. But uh, we appreciate y'all for being patient. But every week I do a segment called Bryson's Best Ten, and it's one just like carving up the context. We'll be doing uh, post football season and beyond. It'll be a staple of carving it up live moving forward. But it is still football season, but it can't be Bryce's best 10 because there are eight teams left. So I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Bryce's best 10. Nah, we, can, we can wait on that in, in football context till next season. Let's talk about uh, the eight teams left. So we'll call it Bryson's best. There we go. We will start with a team making their debut on this list. Literally, everybody's making the debut. It's Bryce's best eight. First time we've ever done eight uh, rankings rather than ten. But first time making the list of my top teams in the NFL. At number eight, it is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are the eighth best team in the National Football League and really technically left in the playoffs. And here is why. So Tampa Bay... Obviously, a very, very impressive finish against the Philadelphia Eagles, winning 32, winning 32 to 9, uh, taking advantage of an Eagles team that seemed mentally and psychologically messed up uh, in many ways, shapes, and forms. But listen, Tampa Bay was in a spot where they had lost a lot of games. They were sitting there at four and seven. It looks, I wouldn't say dead in the water, but darn close to it. And what did they do? Win six of their next seven games, win a playoff game in that span, win the division in that span of football action. And listen, Baker Mayfield, you could argue, is he had a great season in 2020. I'll talk about Baker later in the show. But for him to come into Tampa Bay, let's be honest, Baker was kind of, he signed to Tampa. We felt like he was kind of damaged goods at this point. Post-Brady, the Buccaneers are going to draft a quarterback next year. 
And Baker shows up and shows out, has the best year of his career, uh, has a stat line that's comparable to and in some ways better than Tom Brady's stat line, his final year in Tampa in 2022. Mike Evans, what can you say? He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. Another 1,000-yard season. Todd Bowles doing a phenomenal job, second year there with this defense. As I always say, the truly good to great coaches, the bare minimum, you have to specialize on your side of the ball. Todd Bowles absolutely does that. Buccaneers blitz about as much as anybody. They got a tall task going to Detroit, Michigan to take on the Lions in that hot franchise right now. But nonetheless, shout out to Tampa Bay. Win, win or lose, get to the NFC title game or not, this has been a successful season for Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers are the eighth best team in the National Football League. Moving up three spots from last week at number seven, it is... Ugh. It's the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are the seventh best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, need we, need we regurgitate further what Green Bay's been able to do? They've won seven of their last nine games. Jordan Love has been in that span, arguably the best quarterback in all of football. His stat line since the Packers started three and six is nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, he has, uh, I believe, he's 17 touchdown passes, uh, 17 touchdown passes in that stretch in uh, only one interception. So Jordan Love has been nothing short of phenomenal. He's been accurate. He's been efficient. He's been able to move in out inside the pocket, outside the pocket. My bad, it's actually 21 or yeah, sorry, 18 touchdown passes in that span with one interception. Completion percentage went from like 52% to 70%. Jordan Love's been accurate. He's been a good decision maker. This uh, These off-platform throws are ironically similar to Aaron Rodgers, eerily similar, rather, to Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur, I've been critical of him in the past. He's done a marvelous job at developing this young quarterback. Aaron Jones has been the best running back in football statistically since coming back in Week 15. This Packers defense is plenty of playmakers. They play better as of late. I still have questions about whether or not they can take it to the next level. I get it was garbage time, but they still did give up two very long drives to Dallas in the fourth quarter. They're going to need to step it up if they're going to beat the San Francisco 49ers, the giant of that franchise, on a Saturday. But the Packers, very impressive run to this point, similar to Tampa Bay. If they win, if they lose, they should feel good about whether as an organization and as, as a franchise. The Packers are the seventh best team in the National Football League. Just a hair above them for one particular reason, or maybe two. But at number six, it is the Houston Texans. The Texans are the sixth best team in the National Football League, moving up three spots from last week, and here is why. So, what can you say, man? C.J. Stroud. I mean, three touchdowns, kind of like Jordan Love. Three touchdowns, almost a near-perfect passer rating. D'Amico Ryan's rookie head coach might be coach of the year this season. And this this Texans team, despite losing a guy in Tank Dell, they were able to get Nico Collins, get some good production out of him. Dalton Schultz, run game's been good. Uh, they're clicking on all cylinders right now. Now, defensively, I had some questions about them uh, coming to the playoffs in some respects. Derek Stingley Jr., Will Anderson's had a great rookie season. D'Amico Ryan's, again, specializing on his side of the ball, which is defense. And they absolutely shut down the Cleveland Browns last week and Joe Flacco uh, throwing two pick sixes in that game. Again, similar to the other three teams I mentioned, they got a tall task ahead of them going to Baltimore on two weeks rest against the MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson, and the best team, the hottest team, rather, in the National Football League of the Ravens. If, excuse me, it's going to be tough for Houston. The only reason I put them... Uh, above Green Bay because I think they're in very similar spots as the franchise. They're just both kind of looking up. Great coach, great quarterback, really good young, talented roster. I like Houston's defense better than Green Bay's. I trust it more consistently than Green Bay's. They've shown me better production over the course of the season and the playoffs to this point, the young playoffs, but that's where I got Houston. The Texans, the Texans are the sixth best team in the National Football League. At number five, not moving at all from last week, but it is a team I love. It's the Detroit Lions, the Lions are the fifth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, what can you say about Detroit, man? 
three wins in 2021, nine in 2022, 12 in 2023 with their first postseason win since 1991. Barry Sanders was still a Detroit Lion at that point. Might be the greatest running back ever. But this is a new generation of Lions. This is a new group of Lions. This is a new culture of Detroit Lions. Brad Holmes, the general manager, has done a phenomenal job of putting this roster together through the draft, through free agency, through the trade market, bringing in Jared Goff. Uh, This is an organization, this is a franchise that has nothing but momentum moving forward. Dan Campbell's done a fantastic job this season. He's a potential candidate for Coach of the Year. Jared Goff having his best non-Ram season to this point. Jameer Gibbs, uh, you know, Sam Laportis, if he's able to be healthy uh, for this round. You got Amon Ross St. Brown, you got Jamison Williams, you got David Montgomery. They got some dudes, they got some playmakers, they got the best offensive line in the playoffs left at this point, even over the Ravens. Uh, I love her Detroit's app. Defensively, I have some questions, but they're a bend-but-don't-break defense. The Rams got to the red zone three times in that game, were forced to three field goals. Listen, Detroit's got a, a tough task ahead against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday afternoon. It's going to be tough, but listen, I love where this Lions organization is going. I picked them before the season to get to the NFC title game. They're one win away from proving me right. I feel great about the Lions. The Lions are the fifth best team in the National Football League. At number four, this is the highest they've been on this list all season. It is the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are the fourth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, folks, they've lost, they've won six straight games after starting with six wins and six losses. You consider the fact that Josh Allen last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers, or really a couple of days ago, much to my chagrin as a Steelers fan, did not turn the football over. It's his most complete game yet. A pass rating in the 100s, a, a tr- in the triple digits, rather, a QBR of 91 on 0 to 100. Three touchdowns to the air, one on the ground. We know he can do with his arm, with his legs. If he's able to limit as the, as I often dub it, reckless plays, this team could beat anybody in the NFL. This guy can go toe-to-toe, as I've said for years, with the best in the NFL by the name of Patrick Mahomes. The defense is concerning in the sense that they've lost a lot of linebackers as of late. That's something that Kansas City could potentially expose. But James Cook, Pro Bowl running back, this offensive line is by far the best in the Josh Allen era to this point. Good weapon. Shakir is a, is a guy who's able to make plays for them after the catch. We'll see if they get Dave, Gabe Davis back from injury. Dalton Kincaid, who they drafted out of Utah, who I loved out of the draft, he's able to make plays. He caught a touchdown pass against the, uh, might have caught two touchdown passes against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's very effective. Uh, this list, this is the best Bills team overall complete uh, organization of talent uh, in the Josh Allen era to this point. They've got a great opportunity to get to the AFC title game and put themselves in position to get to the first Super Bowl since the Jim Kelly days of the early to mid-90s. The Bills are the fourth best team in the National Football League. At number three, it's the defending champs not moving a spot from last week. It is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are the third best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, Listen, nothing about what they did against the Dolphins on Saturday shot me in the slightest. So you got a team that's great in cold weather with the best quarterback in the league, best coach in the league, best tight end ever, and one of the greatest playoff performers ever statistically, a top three defense facing a team that sucks in weather that isn't 70 degrees in the fourth coldest game ever. Yeah, I think I'm going to take Kansas City and to cover uh, the four and a half. That was my favorite bet of the week again, if I were a bet man. That's why I called the segment that. But Kansas City took care of business. Isaiah Pacheco was very effective. I didn't love how Kansas City wasn't able to finish in the red zone, and they haven't really been able to do that for the vast majority of the season. But the drops were mostly held to a minimum in this game. You know, no Marquez Valdez, Scantling, or Kadarius Tony. He wasn't, I believe, healthy for this game. But no, no really major plays uh, by them. 
uh, in a negative form and fashion, which we've seen oftentimes for these Kansas City Chiefs team. But listen, you got Chris Jones, you got uh, McDuffie, who's been one of the best corners in the NFL this season. You have plenty of guys, plenty of playmakers on that side of the football. We'll see what they're able to do. Rasheed Rice kind of stepping up as that potential number one receiver now for Patrick Mahomes, especially now as Travis Kelsey is getting older. It's going to be key. But first rub playoff game on Sunday night against Buffalo. It's going to be a tall task. But I believe in dynasties. I believe they can flip a switch to the playoffs. I think we saw that uh, for the for basically three and a half hours on Peacock against the Miami Dolphins. Kansas City's in great shape. And listen, the hate is going to hey, 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 hey on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not going to do that. And the Chiefs are at number three. Please don't sue me, Taylor. At number two, retaining their spot at last week, it is the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are the second best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So we haven't seen a healthy Niners team play in two weeks because they rested in week 18, and they obviously did not play last week due to the first round bye. But Brock Purdy leading the NFL in passer rating to this point. This defense is stacked. This offense is stacked. There's listing all pros. Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey. He got guys like Brandon Ayuk. And George Kittle, defensively, Bosa, Young. And we can, we can just continue. Warner. Har- uh, not Hargraves. Um, yeah, Hargraves. They got Javon Hargraves from the Eagles. They got, uh, my gosh, what's the linebacker's name? Um, I'm forgetting the linebacker's name. Uh for, for the for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, who's an impact playmaker on, the, on that side of the ball. But a uh, f- fantastic linebacking core that the San Francisco 49ers have. Uh, fantastic secondary. Ward has played well from this year, the free agent acquisition from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's been very effective in many ways. Greenlaw, Drake Greenlaw. I apologize to Drake Greenlaw. Elite player would be the best linebacker on any team in the NFL, not named the San Francisco 49ers. Well-coached defense with Steve Wilkes. Well-coached offense with Kyle Shanahan. My only concern, and I've been saying this for months now can they play from behind Shanahan has struggled in his career coaching from behind Purdy struggled in his, in his very young career playing from behind we'll see if they're able to play from behind early and often and maybe the entire game against the Green Bay Packers on Saturday but if they play from ahead if they get out 7-0 14-0 it's over okay they're gonna steamroll you they're gonna hit you in the mouth they play a very physical brand of Shanahan West Coast offense level football there really isn't much not to like about this team again I maintain if Brock Purdy is the weak link of your football team, you're in pretty good shape. The Niners are the second best team in the National Football League and retaining their number one spot for many, many weeks now, about a month now, it is the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens, much to my chagrin as a Steelers fan, are the best team in the National Football League and here is why. So just like the just like the Niners, we have not seen them play a healthy game in two weeks due to them resting in week 18 and then not playing last week due to the first round bye. But Lamar Jackson's undeniably the MVP of the league. He plays great against great teams. Uh, his pass ring's excellent. Uh, t- a touchdown interception ratio is good. He- he's been fantastic. Gets virtually every great defense. He threw out Cleveland. You throw out uh, teams like the San Francisco 49ers, the game in which I really thought he kind of wrapped up the MVP with. John Harbaugh's a great coach, has championship history. This defense is the best in all football, best scoring defense, best defense in terms of getting to the quarterback. Uh, they're great everywhere. Secondary is excellent with Marlon Humphrey, uh, etc. Obviously the pass rush and the linebacking core with Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, who's probably a top three linebacker in all of football. They're well coached with, with Will McDonald calling the defensive plays. Todd Munkin has changed this offense. He's helped elevate Lamar Jackson to a level I've always believed he could get to, but now we're finally seeing it. Odell Beckham Jr. By the way, Mark Andrews potentially coming back from injury on Saturday. Maybe not before that, but if they win, you would certainly expect him to potentially be back for the AFC title game should the Ravens get there. A lot of great receivers. Zay Flowers. Mark Andrews potentially coming back. Odell Beckham Jr. Heck, that Isaiah Likely kid. 
has been pretty productive as of late. It's great O-line. It's not much not to love about the Baltimore Ravens. My only question is, can they play from ahead in the fourth quarter? And that sounds crazy, but they blow more double-digit leads than any team in football since the 2020 season. They've blown a couple of, di- of double-digit leads this year. Only time will tell. The Ravens are the best team, once again, in the National Football League. By the way, I think Baltimore's actually blown one. Was the Colts game, was, a, was that a blown double-digit lead? I believe it was. Uh, I know for a fact they blew one against, against the Cleveland Browns, but they haven't lost since then. Hottest team in the league and a deserving number one in the National Football League. Got a comment here? Student of the game, 225. Loving the new graphics you had. Well, thank you very much. If student of the game, 225, happens to be a guy who works at the Grid Network, uh, you know who you are, Mr. Alfred Parsard Jr. I greatly appreciate the graphics, my friend. Greatly appreciate it. They look fantastic. Alfred's been putting, I, I mentioned Alfred on the show on Monday. Uh, he created a great Jordan Love graphic for me. Uh, he's the man. Listen, he put together some good stuff. A lot better than what I could put together. A lot better. It's a lot more just crisp and detailed. And the Eagles one with the with the happy fans and the sad fans, it was beautiful. And then the happy Jalen Hurts and then the slightly agitated Jalen Hurts, it was, it was great. So Alfred, shout out to you, my man. You do a fantastic job here at the Grid Network. There's no question about that. All right. Last segment before we get out of here. Baker Mayfield is on a heater right now, I think it's fair to say. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on a heater right now. But Baker Mayfield right now is the story. So, uh, I, I like I, I heard this uh, on a segment on one of my favorite sports TV shows. Uh, I'll call it out by name, First Things First. I'm not calling it out in a bad way. I think, it's, I think First Things First is literally the best sports show on television. On television. Outside of inside the NBA, it's that good. They're fantastic. Nick Brew Wilds, shout out to all three of you. You do a fantastic job. And Nick gave me a Nick didn't directly give me a shout out, but Nick and his son Demonze answered one a question of mine on their podcast uh, a few weeks ago. So shout out to y'all. I greatly appreciate that. But I saw on their show today there was a who's had a better comeback story, Jared Goff or Baker Mayfield. I'm like, this isn't even close. Jared Goff's had a great comeback story. Don't be wrong. He was just kind of shipped to Detroit in a relevant franchise and has helped it get back to, hold on a second, the Lions could win the Super Bowl. Not the case in Tampa. I don't think, win, lose, or draw. I keep saying win, lose, or draw. There's no draw in the playoffs. Uh, I don't think anybody expects Tampa Bay to exactly win the Super Bowl and do what they did in 2020. But shout out to Baker Mayfield. And I say that as a guy who's been a... Baker, I would not call myself a Baker hater. There's plenty of Baker haters out there. I would not consider myself one of those. But a Baker skeptic. I was worried about his maturity coming out of college at Oklahoma. I was worried about arm strength. There was a time around 2019, 2020, I was like, not 2020, but around 2019, I'm like, guy's not even accurate anymore. Not horribly athletic, a little undersized. I'm like, there's a lot of ifs, a lot of if this happened, if, if, if. Gets let go from Cleveland after a bad 2021 season when he was playing through a shoulder injury. Goes to Carolina. Isn't that good there. Rams pick him up. He has that crazy game against the crazy drive against the Vegas Raiders where he goes 99 yards in less than two minutes after being a Ram for like 48 hours, not even knowing the playbook for crying out loud, going and leading a game when he drives to essentially knock Vegas out of playoff contention. But you had that. But then he is a free agent. Rams don't bring him back to backup staffer. And he signs with the Buccaneers after Brady retires. And we're all kind of like, the general public's like, okay, you know, Baker. He, he he would be the type of dude, I've said for a while, Baker is in 
I thought was sort of at the top upper echelon along with, with Gardner Minshew in the low-end starter, high-end backup category. Where guys, like, if he's your backup, great. That's a great backup to have. If you if your season's kind of floundering a little bit, you can plug him in. He can win football games for you. But if he's your starter, you kind of got a hard ceiling on how far you can go. Apologies, Baker. You're a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's not even debatable. And if you think about Baker... Was he worthy of being the number one pick in 2018? No. Two quarterbacks have shown themselves to be objectively better. They happen to be Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. But one of the things I'm impressed with Baker Mayfield, and I'm impressed with a lot of quarterbacks, to a greater degree, it's why I think Joe Burrow's the second best in football to Mahomes, is what do you have to overcome? Not necessarily in your personal life, not just that exclusively, but... Where'd he end up? Well, Baker ended up in about, along with the New York Jets, literally the worst franchise you could go to for quarterback development. The worst, along with the Jets. I often say the Jets, it's the place where young quarterback dreams go to die. Browns could say the same thing. And he's been the most successful quarterback they've had in decades. He won them their first playoff game since the early 90s. His rookie year, he took over an 0-16 team that had been 0-16 the year before. That's why they had the first pick to draft him. And with two to three leagues left in the regular season, folks, they were in the playoff hunt, and Baker had one of the greatest rookie quarterback seasons, statistically at least, that we've seen. Comparable to that of Peyton Manning in some respects. Now, Baker's not Peyton, obviously, but the rookie season's numbers would, would tell you pretty close. But then when Cleveland does what Cleveland, you know, it's Cleveland, does get dysfunctional, get more dysfunctional, make things harder for Baker. I mean, they hire Freddie Kitchens. I mean, what are we doing? In 2019, it doesn't work because Baker's not a guy talented enough to overcome nonsense. Then he goes to Carolina. Well, folks, how's Carolina look today? They, tra <laughs> they traded DJ Moore for the first pick. They were the worst team in the league. They ain't got a first pick or their number one receiver, and their owner's throwing drinks at fans. And they fired another head coach. And Bryce Young doesn't have a half second to throw the football. And they're probably the most, the least talented roster in the league. Yeah, Baker's probably not going to be terribly good there. But then when he goes to the Rams, oh, they win some games. They had a 50-burger on Denver, I remember, on Christmas Day. Before that, Baker, on 48 hours notice of being a Ram, leads a 99-yard game-winning drive. Why? Sean McVay's his coach, smart offensive coach. He's got good wide receivers, good weapons around him. Then he goes to Tampa Bay. Good coach Todd Bowles. Tremendous weapons in Evans and Godwin. I've always been a fan of Kate Otten, the tight end they've got there. Solid offensive line, good defense. Look at Baker. Include the playoff game. He's got 31 touchdown passes. He's fighting through a rib injury and still playing this well. Now, is he a top 10 guy? I don't think so. But is he a franchise guy? I don't see why not. He's the best quarterback in that division, and I say that as a lifelong Derek Carr fan. Carolina's in whatever spot they're in. They're, they're the worst organization in the league, arguably. Worst team in the league, certainly. Um, Atlanta, we'll see. They got a bright future. We'll see if they hire a head coach and draft a quarterback. They're just kind of a question mark. Tampa Bay, I'm, I'm sorry. It's... When you negotiate that contract with Baker this offseason because he is a free agent, that number in terms of salary per year has to start with a three. It has to. I don't know if I'd be terribly comfortable with giving him the Daniel Jones contract, but 
Would I give him the Geno Smith contract? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. He's matured since his rookie year because guess what? Most people do. Most smart, successful people do. You know, we all know, studies are evident. Guys mature slower than women. It's, it's, it's been scientifically proven over and over and over again. And Baker was immature coming out of Oklahoma. He was. A lot, lot of baggage. But time grows, or time, time goes on. He grows as a human being. He gets dealt the bad hand of having to play for the Cleveland Browns, then having to play for the Carolina Panthers. But then he goes to the Rams. Good organization, good coach. Then he goes to the, again, that was for like a quarter season, but still he was, he was pretty good there. Then he goes to the Buccaneers where we think dysfunctional franchise, but good coach, won the Super Bowl not that long ago, still good roster. Plenty of guys who, was, who were on that Super Bowl team. They welcome Baker. He embraces the challenge of beating out Kyle Trask for the job. That's where I've underrated Baker. That's that's the area that what he's done in Tampa Bay has shown me. Put the right pieces around him. He can be a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. Flirting with top 12. He can be that. Kind of Jared Goff-ish. Goff's better, but sort of Jared Goff-ish. Jared Goff's rookie year at the Rams. It was a mess. He was one of the worst quarterbacks ever. Gets McVay. They upgrade the roster. Oh, look at Jared Goff. Then he goes to dysfunctional Detroit. At the time, dysfunctional. They win three games, and he doesn't have a terribly impressive statistical season. But they get Ben Johnson. They draft some guys. Jared Goff looks really good. Top 10 quarterback. Baker's sort of a lesser version of that. So, listen, I've been a Baker skeptic for some time. Good for Baker. Like, like seriously, I, I love seeing people. When guys prove me wrong, fine with coming out in a minute. I'm absolutely fine with coming out in a minute. Baker is, is, I can no longer call him a low-end starter, high-end backup. At this point, that's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. A guy who throws 28 touchdowns in the regular season, in the playoffs against the NFC runner-up, throws three more touchdowns in the playoffs with no picks, is deadly accurate all season long. Now he's playing through a rib injury. I don't know how Tampa Bay's season is going to fare up, or if their season's going to end in Detroit on, Saturday, on, on Sunday, if they get to the NFC title game or not. You have to give this guy a contract if you're Tampa. Again, you're not going to give him something crazy, but it has to start with a three. The way the quarterback market is trending, average salary per year, it's got to start with the, with the number three. Has to. Shout out to Baker Mayfield, man. Like, seriously, I, I like seeing people who prove me wrong. Good for him. And I've been, go back to some previous shows in previous years. I have ripped Baker Mayfield. Ripped him. Dead wrong. Give him stability. He will succeed. And by the way, that's the case with most of us. Not that many individuals are able to deal with crap. I mentioned Joe Burrow at the beginning of this segment, at the beginning of this mini rant on Baker, that it's part of the reason I call Burrow the second best quarterback in the league because the Bengals were a, a joke, a national joke. He takes over year two, they go to the Super Bowl and almost win it with a crappy offensive line, average defense, and a coach in Zach Taylor who's fine, not special. What you overcome means a lot to me. It's why I'm as big. That's why I'm. It's guys. That's far. That's part of why I'm as big of a Dak fan, as, as big of a Dak fan as I am. He's got to overcome the nonsense of Jerry, the crappy culture in Dallas, seemingly inept coaches, Garrett McCarthy, inconsistent defenses. He only usually only has one legitimate threat. This year, Ceedee Lamb. Previous years, it was Amari Cooper, and not much after that. A terrible running game, old offensive line. It's kind of why I love Dak, and that's kind of what I'm seeing with Baker Mayfield right now. Uh, Patrick Brown, Baker has been solid all season. He's matured as a player and as a man. Dude has literally completed a 360-degree turnaround. He fits what Tampa Bay needs right now. 
No question. And Patrick also says with no expectations of making the playoffs and has the one win away from reaching the NFC title game. Wouldn't that be something as loaded as the NFC is? We talk about Dallas and Philly and Detroit. Wouldn't it be funny if Tampa Bay is one of the last two? Listen, they're six and a half point dogs. Is it still six and a half? Yep, six and a half point dogs in Detroit. But rightfully so. Detroit's the better team. But the way these playoffs have been going, we'll be, sh- be shocked if Tampa comes out and wins. Now, again, did they beat a psychologically screwed up, messed up Eagles team? Sure they did, but listen, the other day, they're in a they're in a good spot to potentially, you know, make a run right here. So, uh, we'll see. Now, again, if they run into, like, San Francisco, they're, they're not beating San Francisco. They're, they're, they're simply, they don't have enough, t- enough talent to do that. But, uh, in general, uh, I, I like where the Buccaneers are at. I really do. Well, sorry, I'm trying to get this little graphic pulled up right here. Um, because it is important uh, to note. I did not think, who'd have thought Tampa Bay would be amongst the final four? And they weren't the final four last year with Tom Brady. Older Brady, but still Brady. And here they are. This divisional weekend, though, man. I'm going to obviously predict the games on on Friday's show. Uh, I always do my predictions. If I were a bet man, Bryce Bleak Bet. Uh, bleak bet. And... Um, uh, what else? Uh, upset of the week. I was close. So I, I should. Have, my upset of the week should have just been Philly. I, I I tried to go for the home runs, the home run with with my Steelers. I there was an avenue for us to win. We just didn't take it. We just didn't take it. We not only did we turn the football over, and we not turn the football over from from the um, from the Bills, but we turned the football over ourselves. One was a brutal Mason Rudolph pick in the end zone. The other a careless fumble by George Pickens. Um, not great. Before we get out of here, I did want to mention this. Uh, today is a, man, today's a terrible day for the Golden State Warriors. Um, this morning, they also, and I'm going to pronounce this name correctly, uh, especially you know given what happened. Uh, Golden State Warriors assistant coach, Dejan Milojevic. Milojevic. Um, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. Um, passed away this morning. He had a medical emergency last night in a Salt Lake City restaurant. Warriors were going to play the Utah Jazz tonight. They're, the game got postponed due to the tragedy, and um, it was reported heart attack, I believe. So, listen, I, I don't know. I'm a diehard Warriors fan as much as they come. I don't know you know, much about this guy, uh, but given what guys like Steve Kerr has said, Steve Kerr, obviously, uh, this individual worked for Steve Kerr's staff for the last, this is what this was his third season in Golden State. He had a 15 year career abroad, uh, in in like Euro leagues and stuff like that, overseas. And um, we uh, we lost him this morning at the age of only 46 years old. So my thoughts, my prayers, go to his wife, go to his children, to his family, to the Warriors uh, family, who I know spoke incredibly highly of him. I saw Festus Azili, former Warrior, but covers the team now. Uh, was was sent out a, uh, an Instagram video talking about how much of a how great of a personality he was and how uh, kind of happy-go-lucky he was part of a championship team in 2022, and just for this organization to lose him and given what he meant to this to this franchise is is absolutely devastating. Warriors put out a statement today, um, announcing the passing. Golden State Warriors assistant coach uh, Dejan Milojevic was hospitalized last night in Salt Lake City, Utah, after suffering a heart attack. At a private team dinner, despite life-setting efforts, he passed away late Wednesday morning at the age 
of 46. We are absolutely devastated by Dehan, uh, Dehan's sudden passing, Warriors head coach Steve Kerr said. This is a shocking and tragic blow for everyone associated with the Warriors, an incredibly difficult time for his family, friends, and all of us who have had the incredible pleasure to work with him. In addition to being a terrific basketball coach, he was one of the most positive and beautiful human beings I've ever known, someone who brought joy and light to every single day with his passion and his energy. We grieve with and for his wife, uh, Natasha, and their children, Nicola and Masa. Their loss is unfathomable. And it goes on, the statement goes on to say that he was in his third season as an assistant coach with the Warriors and was a member of the team's coaching staff for Golden State's uh, run to the 2022 NBA championship. Before joining the Warriors, he spent the 2021 season as the head coach of the KK uh, Budenkunst League uh, in the Adriatic, uh, I'm sorry, Budenkunst in the uh, Adriatic League in Montenegro. And so, uh, and it talks about his career overseas as well. He's with the Hawks briefly. So, terrible day for the Warriors organization. And may may he rest in peace. No question about it. Terrible day for the Warriors. This has been an up. This has been a mostly down season for Golden State. This is un, unquestionably the lowest low. So prayers for him and his family, and for the Warriors family as well. Hate to end on a sober note, of course, but I did want to get that out. Especially, obviously, loss of life is always tragic. But you know, being a Warriors fan, it hit hit a little closer to home. So. With that said, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And, of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and to, to take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And, again, we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by the Super Bowl, which is February the 11th. We just surpassed 700. I believe we can get there. Please, 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 if you have subscribed, tell your friends about it, your family about it. Subscribe to the show. Let's get this following and this fan base. Continue to build to the highest possible level. If you have not subscribed, hey, just takes a couple seconds. Bigger subscribe button down there. Hit that and you're part of the Carving Up family. Just as important, be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts here at The Grid Network. Okay, see you all on Friday's show. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health, and please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America and this being a voting year and election year 2024 if they refuse to change the laws go to the vo uh, voting booth and vote them out of office this is an issue I care deeply about and something we got to address all right I will see you on Friday NFL playoff predictions divisional round and who knows what else will happen in the world of sports by then stay safe out there God bless y'all peace out gonna be a fun one Pittsburgh, get a quarterback in OC. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.